Frequent guest and liberal political commentator Carl Jeffers is in studio tonight. And even with the eyes of the world on China and its upcoming Olympic Games, China continues to persecute Christians and other religions. We'll get an update. Also, would a sudden troop withdrawal from Iraq have devastating results? This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. There's no place in the Republican Party for the kind of ad that was put up by the North Carolina Republican Party. All right, that's John McCain. He says he's opposed to this North Carolina TV ad that mentions Barack Obama's former pastor. And um, that reminds us North Carolina is coming up. Uh, Hillary Clinton might actually like that ad that bashes Barack Obama because it is Obama versus Clinton. And we have some questions today. Is this ongoing battle among the Democrats, is it good for the party? Is it good for America? What are the real differences between Obama and Clinton? And how is this going to play out in the summer? Is that going to help John McCain? We're going to talk to an expert on the Democratic Party in just a minute. Later on in the program... We're going to be talking with America's best battlefield reporter. He says the Petraeus strategy is working in Iraq and a precipitous troop withdrawal will be a disaster. And we're going to hear what McCain says about that, what Hillary says about that, what Obama says about that. You don't want to miss it. But first, my guest in the studio today for the first time, our good friend, Carl Jeffers. Carl Jeffers is a political analyst. He's an editorial contributor for the Seattle Times, the Huffington Post. He has his own radio talk show called On Fire with Carl Jeffers. Uh, Carl is a national political TV and radio commentator. He's my favorite political liberal Carl Jeffers. Carl, thank you for being in studio with us today. Well, Jerry, it's absolutely a pleasure to be here. And uh, I, I have to say, too, that uh, in the context of what Chriswell does and uh, being a Christian-based station, and I, I, I want to just take a personal moment uh, for our listeners to say that Jerry opens his show every, every day uh, with a prayer. And I could not have been more honored or pleased mm -hmm. to have been able to join uh, the group yeah. here. And I was not expecting that, totally un unexpected. 
And I just want our listeners to know that mm. he really is a man sincere in his feelings and his beliefs. And I just couldn't have been more pleased. Mm. And then to follow that up with your opening sound bites mm. of all of the different uh, quotes from President Bush and FDR. Mm. Right. If you love America, I don't care whether you're a conservative or a liberal mm. or a Democrat or a Republican, mm. you've got to get a little goosebumps I like some those. of those. I like that sound. You know. And Carl, we've never said that uh, to our folks before, but it is true out there. Every day, uh, almost every day, sometimes we miss it, but uh, we pray as a staff getting ready for this show. Uh, the last minute or two, we're on the air. We're praying. Join us in prayer where you are, uh, that this will be a great program. Well, Carl, this has been a week of conflict in mm. Pennsylvania. Uh, Hillary Clinton uh, has another life, and uh, <laughs> she won in Pennsylvania. Uh, Carl, you know what's going on in the Democratic Party probably better than anyone we've had on here before. Tell us about this win, the numbers, the interpretation mm. of the win, uh, what really are uh, the chances, what are the chances that Hillary Clinton could somehow pull out an upset in the mm. summer? Well, I think, uh, Jerry, that uh, in terms of the overall picture, uh, the chances are still that Barack Obama has the better chance, the more likelihood of being the nominee of the He's Democratic Party. He's ahead of Party. that delegate count. Right. And, and just in terms of the momentum, the support, all of that. However, uh, Hillary's chances were certainly boosted uh, by the results of Pennsylvania, and it put her in a position to even continue to be competitive. And as long as she's competitive and is making headroads in terms of votes and getting more popular votes, even though she won't catch him with the delegate vote, she is in a position to do two things. One, to move herself to be even with Obama so that these arguments about how she could win by getting the superdelegates is the same argument that could be made because either one of them would have to do the same thing in order to win. Yeah. And secondly, as long as she's still in it, any situation that develops with Barack Obama where he falters or has a misstep or another Jeremiah Wright problem or things like that, then she benefits. If she's out of the race, it's, it's, it's too late. And let me just add, the other night, Hillary Clinton, in the debate that they had, she made one of the most telling and I think strategically brilliant statements that she made in the campaign. What was she that? said that I've got a lot of baggage. But they've been rummaging through my baggage for years, and they all know what's in there. But Obama's Obama. baggage is still being checked through at security. We don't quite know what's going to come through yet. And there could be surprises. There could be other situations. And even though that's kind of a negative versus a negative, I've got a lot of baggage, right? That's a negative, and her negatives are high. The reality is, from a political, practical point of view, it is good to know almost everything that could be used against you before you get to it, because then every Everybody is not surprised, and we can't say, you know, well, listen, we've been through that before. With Obama, any little thing that comes up is it's a news. big news story. It's a great revelation. We've heard before of the October surprise. Now we're talking about April surprises, <laughs> May surprises, June surprises. And really, uh, Obama is ahead in the delegate count. Hillary, though, not that far behind. Mm -hmm. And the superdelegates could tip it. Either way. And I mm -hmm. want to talk about that for a moment because uh, it looks like Hillary's waiting in the wings. Mm -hmm. And if Obama really trips up, it could inspire the superdelegates to mm -hmm. move over and give her the winning advantage. Now, here is a question I have for you, Carl. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, are resentful of this process. They're saying, well, wait a minute. Um, how could the superdelegates trump? 
uh, the vote of the regular delegates. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a fair challenge? Well, it's a fair challenge, but it's inaccurate. I mean, the, the reality yes. is there's two quick points to be made here. Number one, remember, at this point now in the Democratic Party nominating process, the only way that either of the candidates gets to the nomination is for the superdelegates to give them their votes. So consequently, no matter which candidate you support, they will only win the nomination on the second ballot or the third ballot, since neither one of them will get it on the first ballot, unless the superdelegates go to that candidate. Now, the argument is on the Obama people, we won the most states, we're leading in the popular vote, and we have the most delegates, so the superdelegates should therefore vote for us. However, the problem with that is, is that, and I want to remind our listeners so that, so that all of our listeners today will be better informed than the rest of America. Yes. The superdelegate process was set up to be exactly what everybody's complaining about. In other words, the superdelegates are supposed to do exactly what they're being charged to do, which is to put the brakes on a candidate who may be winning in all of those other categories, but who the perception is cannot win in November. In 1972, George McGovern swept the primaries around the country, <laughs> swept the convention in, in August, actually it was in July, and then he got swept in November by winning only one state against Richard Nixon. And the Democratic Party in 72 said, we will not let this happen again. We will set up a separate party uh, apparatus that will enable that group, that institution, which is the superdelegates, to say, hold on a minute. This person may be winning the primaries, but we don't think that person can be elected in November, and so we're going to put the brakes on that. And that's exactly what they're set up to do. And even though the Obama supporters are complaining about it, and really many people who are not supporting either one think that it's somehow wrong that the superdelegates should decide, that's exactly what they were structured to do. Now, it is getting a little out of hand, Jerry, because I heard of a story of a superdelegate out in Oakland. He sent an email to both the Obama and the Clinton campaign, said, I've got my eye on a 350SL convertible. I just want both campaigns to be aware of that. (laughs) Well, you know, if you read Plato out there, he talks about the guardians and the gatekeepers, and these superdelegates are really set up. It's like the Senate. It's like the Electoral College. It's a balance upon pure democracy the democrats of all parties have this check on uh, on you know pure democracy and that is the experienced politicos saying who will be the best president and who can win mm-hmm. so it's going to be interesting to follow this now carl i want to play a couple of pieces of sound because a lot of people are concerned uh, democrats that is they're concerned uh, republicans kind of like this i think mm-hmm. that uh, look clinton and obama are duking it out and there's going to be serious division at the end of this process here is james carville he called bill Richardson, the governor of New Mexico, Mm -hmm. a political Judas. And I think that's because the Clintons put Richardson up uh, in leadership nationally, and uh, Richardson endorsed Obama. Here's Carville when uh, challenged by Larry King. By the way, have you guys spoken at all? No. Not since then. Okay. We'll take it. Let's go back a little. Uh, Bill Richardson endorsed, surprisingly, Barack Obama for the presidency. And James Carville called Richardson a Judas for doing that. Now, it's been a few weeks. How do you feel? Well, I said it. I was quoted accurately. I was quoted in context. I thought it was an appropriate metaphor. And, just, uh, you know, it's all been bared out. Everybody's had their say. But you meant it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I said it was, if it would have been the 4th of July, I would have said Benedict Arnold. Okay, I got yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, when we come back in a minute, we're going to hear what Bill Richardson has to say in response. That's the governor of New Mexico. But let me ask you this, Carl. Um, Do you believe that um, there are going to be some bridges burned in the Democrat Party if this, and it looks like it is going all the way to the convention and uh, lifelong political allies here, um, what are they going to do when their candidate doesn't win? Well, I think there's no question that uh, this this fight, because of not just winning Pennsylvania, because Hillary Clinton could have won Pennsylvania but won it by two or three points. But the, by the fact that she won Pennsylvania by ten points, when the polls were showing in the end that she was closing, he was closing the gap and she might have only won by four or five, now gives her the strength to go on and continue the fight all the way to Denver. So that's going to happen. The only one possible uh, roadblock in getting to Denver would be if on May 6th, mm-hmm. if Barack Obama gets up there and is able to get give two victory speeches for both North Carolina and Indiana on the same night, there will be enormous pressure on Hillary Clinton uh, to drop out. And she's got to win Indiana, although I think without question everyone expects that he will win North Carolina. But in terms of the ultimate rift, it has gotten so bad now that whether it ends in June or whether it ends in August, there is some percentage of both the Obama supporters and the Hillary supporters who will not support the other candidate if they're the nominee. What are those percentages? Uh, Well, right now, 32% of Hillary Clinton supporters say they will not support Obama if he's the nominee, and 27% of Obama supporters say they will not support Hillary if she's the nominee. Now, that number will not hold. There will be a bringing together a reconciliation, but in in reality, what will hold is that possibly in November, anywhere between 5 and 10% of those voters will in fact stick to that premise that they won't support him. And I believe it's going to be a close election with John McCain. This will not be a runaway. We're going to talk about that later because yes. it should be a runaway. But, but <laughs> no, it's not going no to be. Way. I don't agree with that. <laughs> but, it's, but it's not going to be. I know you agree with that part of it. It's not going to be. It's going to be close. It will be close. And if it is close, 5 to 10% of the base of the party on the Democratic side, staying home is going to be a significant advantage for John McCain. All right, folks, you're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. That's Carl Jeffers with me in studio today, my favorite political liberal. He's a political analyst, editorial contributor to the Seattle Times, the Huffington Post. And I'm going to ask him when we come back who his favorite candidate is between Clinton and Obama and why. We'll also talk about some of the issues that might separate Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals, the economy, the war, abortion, euthanasia. Um, we take your calls at 800-881-9270, 800-881-9270. We're going to hear from Governor Richardson also when we come back. And don't forget this, we're going to talk to an expert on the ground in Iraq at the half hour. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. Well, I said I wasn't going to respond and get in the gutter. I feel very strongly this is typical of uh, the reaction of many of uh, the Clinton supporters. They feel that they're a dynasty. They're clinging to the throne. Anybody that uh, disrupts that dynasty or challenges it, I ran against Senator Clinton. Uh, I I served uh, with President Clinton very honorably, and I'm grateful to him. But, you know, I had a lot larger loyalty to the country, uh, to doing what's right for America. I think Obama's the candidate that can bring us together. So uh, it's typical of the negativity that the Clintons right now are using against Senator Obama, and I think it's wrong. All right, that's Governor Bill Richardson. He was an insider in the Clinton camp during the Clinton presidency. And uh, but he is supporting Barack Obama and James Carville says he's a political Judas is the Democrat Party tearing itself apart in this struggle for the nomination. Our guest to talk about it is Carl Jeffers. He's a political analyst, editorial contributor to the Seattle Times, the Huffington Post. He has his own radio talk show called On Fire with Carl Jeffers. I've said before, I say it again, I think my favorite political liberal uh, and a frequent guest here on Jerry Johnson Live. And uh, Carl is in studio live today. In fact, we'll take a call or two if you want to give us a call, 800-881-927. Oh, you have a question about the Democrat Party or the Democrat process in the nomination, and you want to know what's really going on, and uh, maybe it's about an issue. Uh, but, uh, Carl, or maybe about the Republican Party. It may too. be about the Republican Party. We're going to talk about that I'm in a minute. I'm an equal opportunity analyst. But, uh, you know, you and I were talking before the show, yes. and uh, as a progressive or a liberal mm-hmm. uh, Democrat, you really feel like the Democrats should have the upper hand because of Iraq, because mm-hmm. of the economy. Mm-hmm. I have a different view as a conservative, as mm-hmm. a Republican. Mm-hmm. But uh, setting that debate aside for a minute, I mm-hmm. think the the momentum in the last cycle of the elections was toward the Democrats. And a lot of people thought, oh, the Republicans are going to lose big time in the mm-hmm. fall. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people thought, oh, the the Democrat candidate would be way ahead at this point in the game. Mm-hmm. But the polling is showing that McCain is running tight right mm-hmm. now with either one of these candidates. And here's my question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that the Democrats will be able to recover from this family feud mm-hmm. after the convention? Well, I do think that they will be able to recover uh, because they have a lot going for them, and they they do have some very strong uh, uh, assets to to, to 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 draw on. Number one, re- registration is up all over the country because of the excitement of the primaries. It's down for Republicans in the primaries. They're out raising money for re- over Republicans two to one in some areas, three to one. That's never happened before, and so those things work to their advantage. The Republican Party today is at its lowest strength in fifteen years. 
Fundraising is down. National identification, national identification with the Republican Party is down to 25 percent. Eight years ago, when George Bush ran against Al Gore, the country was essentially split politically. Now, it's still split culturally, but politically, the country was about 51 percent registration Democrat and 49 percent registration Republican. Now, the Republican Party has dropped to about 25 percent. Having said that, there are reasons why the Democrats should be far ahead. You not only have Iraq, you have Katrina, you have the economy, you have the housing crisis, jobs, you have a pop, an unpopular president at his lowest approval rating. These numbers he's got now go back to, you'd have to find Millard Fillmore, Jim Bu- uh, James Buchanan to match that. And Harry you, Truman. And, and, well, Harry Truman in the last year of yeah, his office yeah. because of scandal. And you've had scandal too as well. So with those things, and one other thing that's just purely technical, and that is it is very difficult for one party to win three elections in a row. But that's the bad news for the Republicans. The good news is the last time, though, that it was actually tried, it was the Republicans who did it. In 1980, 1984, 1988. In the generic polls, Democrats are out polling the Republicans. But when you put up McCain against Obama, McCain up against Clinton, it's very competitive. Well, that's the point I would make, too, as the final conclusion. Right now in the primaries, with all of the reasons I just mentioned, the Democrats should have a 15 to 20 point lead. They don't. And then it would automatically close in the fall and they probably should win the election by somewhere between seven to nine points. But right now in the primaries, not having a 15 to 20 point lead, John McCain is within two or three points either ahead or behind both Obama and Clinton, which is great news for McCain because if you're only down two or three points between now and November, you certainly can close that gap if you make a lot of right moves. And he has the potential to do that. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Carl Jeffers. He's host of the show, talk show, On Fire with Carl Jeffers. He's a national political television and radio political commentator. Uh, we've got Frank on the line from Little Elm calling in. Frank, uh, you have a question uh, for Carl or for me? Um, I have a question for Carl. Thanks for taking my call, Jerry. Um, you know, let's look beyond. I have a, Carl, a question, uh, Carl. If we look beyond the primary, let's say, you know, we... We come up with either candidate. Realistically, if you watch the debates the other night, um, when when uh, Charlie Gibson asked both candidates about the ban on handguns with D.C. and watched both candidates clearly dance around and not answer that question, let's look at the general election on the Im- issues of immigration, um, guns, things that obviously the South has very strong feelings about. Realistically. What are the chances of either one of of either Hillary or Obama truly beating McCain in the general election? I'd just like to get your thought on that. Well, the, the chances are very good. It's John McCain who has to feel encouraged because he's the underdog. And the encouragement is that instead of being a 15-point underdog, he's a two- or three-point, maybe four-point underdog. And that would give anybody hope that they could actually uh, uh, close that gap and maybe win. Now, in terms of your specific points on gun control, there's no question that the Democrats have had a real vulnerability problem in that area. And so not just Obama and Clinton, but all Democrats throughout the country the last several years have tried to stay away from making guns and gun control as a national priority issue. They just simply want to avoid it because there are many voters in the country who support democratic issues but who feel strongly about gun control and they know they lose voters in that area. So I think that your point there is well taken. In the South, gun control is not an issue that Democrats can do well on. All right, let's go right now to John McCain, because there's an ad airing in North Carolina, the next battle state. 
And uh, this ad is attacking Barack Obama because of his association with his former pastor, Jeremiah Wright. And uh, McCain says, I don't like this ad and I condemn it. We communicated with them in the strongest possible terms to not to run that ad. I do not, I cannot in my role dictate to the, the North Carolina Republican Party what their message is, but I can condemn it. All right, he condemns it. Well, let's listen to part of that ad. For 20 years, Barack Obama sat in his pew listening to his pastor. And then wants us to sing God bless America? No, no, no. Not God bless America. God damn America. That's in the now, Bev Perdue and Richard Moore endorse Barack Obama. They should know better. He's just too extreme for North Carolina. Okay. The North Carolina Republican Party sponsored this ad opposing Bev Perdue and Richard Moore for North Carolina. All right. Uh, let me ask you this, Carl, because that's a Republican Party ad, mm -hmm. but it probably is going to help Hillary Clinton a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, Obama is predicted to win North Carolina. Right. No doubt about that. Right. But here's the question I have for you. Um, you've got this weatherman. Uh, Bill terrorist. Yeah, yeah, you've got this controversy. You've yeah. got the right controversy. Right. Right. Um do you think the Obama campaign is really ready for prime time? Is he breaking up? Do you think this thing is going to unravel before the convention? Well, I think their campaign is ready for prime time. In fact, in some areas, their campaign has demonstrated more competence and, and professionalism than, than, than uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign. The candidate may not be ready, but it's not his fault. But that's the argument I've been making. I love Barack Obama. And I think that one day he may very well be the first African-American president and has the potential to be. But the fact is, it is, it is, and I will say this as candidly as I can, the reality is it is only because he is an African-American that he's in the position he's in now. There's not a white candidate in America who could only have 12 years in the state legislature, only just been elected to the United States Senate and only served for about three years, running against people like Chris Dodd, Joe Biden with their right. credentials, and then jump past well, them and get the nomination. Here's the last question sure. I have, and that is this. Mm -hmm. uh, he is ahead in the delegate vote. Mm -hmm. He's going to be ahead in the state vote. Right. And uh, if the superdelegates say Clinton is more experienced, um, Clinton is more um, investigated, uh, vetted. Mm -hmm. uh, they go with Clinton mm -hmm. over the popular vote, mm -hmm. over the delegate vote, mm -hmm. and they give it to Clinton. Are African Americans, are black folks going to say, we're just going to stay at home? Mm -hmm. We've been disenfranchised. Uh, what will be the reaction from places like North Carolina? Mm -hmm. What do you think? Well, I think you've got that problem all over the place right now. And that's one of the reasons why I say John McCain has a real chance, because the Democrats are putting themselves in a position where they may not be able to reconcile this. There's no question now that even if the superdelegates legitimately exercise their obligations mm -hmm. and how they were structured, African-Americans will feel that they are somehow disenfranchised if Obama is not the candidate. And many of them, they will not vote for John McCain or the Republican Party, but they will stay home, which is not that difficult to get them to do if they're not really motivated to go out. So that's a core constituency of the Democratic Party that the Democrats will lose if Obama's the candidate. But let's not ignore the fact that Hillary Clinton's, the reason why she is still in this race is because every time it gets close to a, a, a primary that is a win or, or go home primary, white women come out in droves and put her over the top. And, her, and Obama has not been able to seal the deal. 
And as a result, there are plenty of Hillary Clinton supporters who will also stay home if, because they feel bitter about how she's been treated in the press. And I would lastly add, the Hispanic vote is overwhelmingly supportive of Hillary Clinton. There are rifts in the African-American community and the Hispanic community. And if it is a Barack Obama on the top of the ticket, many Hispanics will be supporting John McCain. They won't just stay home. They will go to the polls and vote for John McCain because of all the Republicans that they nominated. He's the one who has supported comprehensive immigration reform. Fascinating analysis of the Democrat situation by Democrat. Our favorite here, Carl Jeffers. We're going to have you back, Carl. I look forward to that. The Bible says when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. The next president is a very important choice. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. With the concurrence of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, I have recommended and the president has approved and will nominate General David Petraeus as the new commander of Central Command. All right, that's the Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates. He says the top general in Iraq is getting a new job. How's it going over in Iraq? We just heard uh, Carl Jeffers, our friend, say he thought the Democrats should have the upper hand in the election because of Iraq. And it does seem to to reflect uh, the conventional wisdom in America that the war's gone bad, the war's uh, a mess, and we've got to get the troops out, and that's going to favor the Democrats. But uh, wait a minute. Let's ask what's really happening on the ground. Our next guest is former Green Beret Michael Yon. He's one of the best battlefield reporters out there. He has been in Iraq, and let's ask him. He's written a book, Moment of Truth in Iraq. Michael Yon, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on, Jerry. I'll tell you what, it's good to be back in America. I just got back, actually, less than two weeks ago. I went out to El Paso to see 2-7 Cab that I was with in Mosul, northern Iraq, and now I'm over in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back. And uh, let me just ask you, what have you seen on the ground in Iraq? Is the Petraeus strategy still working? Is it continuing to improve? Well, you know, I've spent more time with combat forces in this war than any other journalist. And so I've really seen the war from the British perspective, and the American Marines, the American Army, and even out with the Navy for a short period. Uh, uh, and I can I can tell you this, it, it is working. It just takes patience and the application of a great deal of effort. But there is no question in my mind that we're making progress. The Iraqi army is, is dramatically better now than they were in 2005. The Iraqi police are improving quickly. Still got a lot of problems with the government, very corrupt. But you can see that it's definitely improving. You know, uh, Michael, it seems to me that uh, a lot of reporters, uh, and this is the nature of reporting to report the bad news, but, you know, I remember a few weeks ago, uh, Maliki tried a little initiative there to go after some of the bad guys. And uh, people were saying, well, it didn't get off to a great start. And that's an example that the policy is failing. But then just more recently, they went after some of the bad guys and had success. And that didn't seem to be magnified as much to me. Do you feel like there is a tendency towards bias in this reporting? Oh, constantly. I mean, some of the 
some of the reporting is just, ba- you know, there's very few reporters that actually spend that much time there. And so, you know, the, the, the well of experienced reporters on Iraq is actually, you know, very, very small, very thin, you know. So, uh, you, you know, there's, there's Michael Gordon is a good one uh, that gives balanced reporting at New York Times. But uh, and that's the difficulty. I mean, and also the, the, the cameras tend to go towards car bombs because mm. that's just, you know, flashy news. You can tell the story in a sound bite or in a few words, um, suicide bombs, quick story. It's out there. It doesn't take any skill as a reporter. And so that creates a, a very uh, a bad bi- bias. Uh, Michael, uh, let me ask you uh, to listen to three sound bites, actually, because we have been talking about politics. I do want to talk about some of the things happening on the ground, but uh, I want you to listen quickly to three candidates. We've got McCain, we've got Hillary, we've got Obama on their Iraq strategy. First, I McCain. I am convinced if we do what Senator Obama and Senator Clinton want, and that is set a date for withdrawal, it will be chaos and genocide in the region. The sacrifice will have been in vain, and we will be back. And there will be greater genocide. Uh, Michael, what are your reactions to that statement? Well, Senator McCain seems to be the only one that knows what he's talking about, quite frankly. I mean, uh, every time I've heard him talking about the war, not, I'm not saying I listen to everything he says about the war, but every time I do see him talk about the war, his characterizations are accurate in tone and fact. So uh, he's, I would tend to listen to him. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to former Green Beret Michael Yan. He's written the book Moment of Truth in Iraq. He is a experienced battlefield reporter, and he's just returned from the front. Uh, let's listen now to Hillary on Iraq. I will begin to withdraw troops in 60 days. I believe that it will take me um, one to two brigades a month, depending on how many troops we have there, and that nearly all of them should be out within a year. What do you make of that proposal? Well, that would lead to complete failure. Uh, There's no question about that. I mean, we're making so much progress now. It'd be like taking the turkey out of the oven, you know, long before it's done. I mean, it would just be a complete waste in lives and treasure and Mm. And we're truly making progress over there. Well, finally, let's go now to Barack Obama on Iraq. This plan would not only place a cap on the number of troops in Iraq and stop the escalation. More importantly, it would begin a phased redeployment of U.S. forces with the goal of removing all U.S. combat forces from Iraq by March 31st, 2008. Well, besides the fact that 2008 is already, uh, March 31st, has already passed, I think he meant 2009. Uh, You know, Obama went on to say at one point, Michael, um, look, if there are al-Qaeda in Iraq, I would send the troops back in. Uh, What's your response to that? Um, I'm not sure what he's talking about. I see al-Qaeda pretty frequently myself they're They're there now (laughs) they're still there uh yeah and we're beating them i mean Mm. we are there there there's some pretty good fighters actually but our guys are better Mm. but al-qaeda is also good at regenerating but we are killing them faster than they can uh, regenerate the big fight now i think you'll see shape up uh will in in nineveh province that's northern province i just left you know that's where most of the al-qaeda remnants are up there and we're hunting them pretty uh, aggressively so you might start seeing some news reports come out of there this summer about, you know, some, some fighting going on. And what, what you'll be seeing is us cornering up al-Qaeda and basically trying our best to wipe them out. Well, that's the main job of the military. But it's not just fighting and killing. I, I remember 
uh, people saying, oh, we'll be greeted as liberators and they'll bring the roses. And, and now critics of the war are mocking the war policy, mocking the president by saying, you know, there wasn't the parade, there wasn't the throwing of the flowers. Uh, but I want to ask you this question, because looking at your book, uh, how do Iraqi children look to U.S. soldiers? And not just the children, but most Iraqis, do they have a favorable view of our troops? I started to notice, and, and by the way, uh, it, you can actually go on vacation in the Kurdish regions right now with no mm. guard or anything. It's very safe, and they love Americans. That's in the north. Uh, so there has been <laughs> there has been some parades, you might say. Yeah. Uh, but um, And many of the other uh, Arabs actually uh, don't want us to leave as well, and I mean a lot. But the, the, the American combat soldiers and Marines, they really, for some reason, just love kids. They love to see them smile and wave and all that stuff. And uh, I, I can't explain it. I mean, uh, but you can't train somebody to be like that. Uh, you know, and, and, and so they get along quite well with the kids. The kids come out to see them and, and say hello. And then, of course, the soldiers give them too much candy and make terrible brats out of them, uh, <laughs> which is just the reality sometimes. But, uh, but, they get along, but that natural um, affection for the kids, it, you know, the, the parents notice that. They'll see the, you know, the soldiers, for instance, at times have brought kids uh, often, I mean all the time, actually bring them to the uh, American doctors or whatever for treatment. Uh, they'll bring school supplies that are supplied by Americans at home. For instance, Operation Iraqi Children has been tremendously helpful. So, I mean, you'll, you know, the parents see this, and they see the way our people treat the kids just naturally, and uh, and they like it, you know. And there's even Iraqi kids now that want to join the American Army, which is kind of, you know, they'll actually come up <laughs> That's and ask, how do I join the American Army? You know? Our guest is Michael Yan. He's a former Green Beret. He's written the book, Moment of Truth in Iraq. Michael, I'd like for you to contrast that view of our soldiers with uh, the Iraqi rank and file, their view of al-Qaeda. How do they view al-Qaeda now in Iraq? Well, you know, the photo on the cover of the book uh, was a very important photo. I shot that in Mosul on May second, two 2005. Our guys were driving down a road. The kids were running out to wave. There was about 20 of them. And uh, little Farah, she's about four. She's on the, she's the girl in the picture. She ran out barefooted. Her mom said later, and uh, soldiers were throwing candy. And there was a suicide car bomber nearby, aiming t- apparently to attack our guys or the children. I don't know what, but he could have waited a couple of blocks to attack the children. I mean, I mean uh, our guys, but instead right. he attacked right through the children. Wow. And he, I mean, and there was kids everywhere, and like one bo- little boy was killed instantly. And then Farah, her mom or some woman brought her out to Walt Gaia, one of the snipers, who was supposed to be pushing out to a sniper position for security. But he ran back with Farah to the medics. The medics started treating her. And then Major Mark Beeger saw Farah. Uh, you know, she was terribly wounded and bleeding. And he wrapped her in a blanket, and he started to run off with her to get her back into another vehicle to drive her to the hospital and loaded up some of her relatives, and they drove off to the hospital. And so uh, she she died, unfortunately, the girl on the cover of, of the book. Uh, but you can see uh, that has ri- things like that over and over and over many so many times. I've seen kids who were decapitated by Al Qaeda, and so that was near Bakuba. 
and you know the, the Iraqis have learned to just absolutely hate Al Qaeda, mm. and it's in fact it's spreading uh, throughout the Arab world. It's not just limited to Iraq. I mean, they, they have lost huge credibility. Well, it's good to see we're getting the momentum we need to finish the job to get it done. My guest, Michael Yan, former Green Beret. Here's what General David Petraeus says about this book and this reporting. Here it is. Speaking of Michael Young, he said he's fearless and provides a candid soldier's eye view from the very unique perspective of being there with them for weeks and months at a time, delving deep into the human component. That's General David Petraeus on Michael Young's reporting and book, Moment of Truth in Iraq. Michael, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for your service as well. Thanks for having me on, Jerry, and I just love being back in America for a while. Welcome back. Thank you so much. All right, folks, when we come back, what's going on in China? They're arresting Christians for publishing Bibles, publishing books, and they're hosting the Olympics. What do you make of that? This is Jerry Johnson Live. We'll be right back with a China update. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. I have talked with uh, Senator Levin, uh, Senator McCain, uh, and Senator Warner. Uh, I think they all have high respect for General Petraeus. Uh, he has clearly been successful uh, in his uh, current assignment, and so I don't really anticipate any problems. All right, that's Defense Secretary Robert Gates. He is promoting General Petraeus. And we're going to talk in just a minute about what the presidential election and the war in Iraq what, what these topics have in common when we think of the Christian worldview and government. What is the role of government? What is the proper role of government? We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I did promise an update from China. We've been covering the fact, the story, the Olympics are going to be in China. And a lot of folks beginning to protest these Olympics. A lot of folks beginning to say, look... Maybe we should not attend the opening ceremony. Some even saying that maybe the U.S. should boycott the games. Why? Because of the way they're treating the people in Tibet. Because of the way they're treating their own people. They don't have freedom of speech. Again and again, 
I read even today because they have the largest Internet population, but it's not really the web or the Internet as we know it today. Uh, it is a censored version of the World Wide Web. And so you cannot get the kind of information in China that you get everywhere else. Uh, and so they they wouldn't allow this program to go on the air there. Uh, they wouldn't allow uh, programs about democracy or Christianity or freedom or anything that would criticize the government. And so uh, a story, though, breaking this weekend, we need to be in prayer, and that is that uh, a man named Xi Weihan, a Chinese bookstore owner in Beijing, has just been rearrested for publishing Bibles and Christian literature. So again and again, we read of house church pastors and uh, Christian workers here, a bookstore owner, arrested and imprisoned. Now, we interviewed John Bolton, the former U.N. ambassador from the United States, just last week. And I want to remind you about uh, Ambassador Bolton's thoughts on the human rights record the horrible human rights record of China. What is happening in Tibet is unacceptable, and I, I think there's a broader point here as well, and that is the lack of uh, religious freedom in China. I served uh, as one of the first members of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom back in 1999 and 2000. Mm -hmm. This was something we worked on uh, then. We were concerned about uh, repression of Christian churches generally. The Catholic Church was a uh, particular target at that time. But beyond Christianity, Falun Gong and other uh, uh, expressions of faith that the Chinese Communist government didn't want to hear anything about. So what's happening in Tibet is part of a long-standing problem with a religious, cultural, ethnic difference between uh, the Han Chinese population that rules in uh, Beijing and, and Tibetans, Uyghurs in Xinjiang province. It's, it's really not just in Tibet. All right, that's former U.N. Ambassador John Bolton, and he's critiquing China. It's not just Ambassador Bolton, CNN, CNN, uh, not a bastion of right-wing conservatism. Uh, just recently, Jack Cafferty on CNN said, look, the Chinese are sending this junk with lead paint and poison pet food to us. And he went on to say about the government leaders, quote, they're basically the same bunch of goons and thugs they've been for the last 50 years. Now, what's interesting about that quote from CNN is this, that Jack Cafferty and CNN and Turner Broadcasting have now been sued by China for $1.3 billion. That's $1 per person, uh, claiming that uh, they have been insulted, that they have been uh, defamed, uh, that their dignity has been intact or something like that. But uh, there are other articles I'm looking at here about the Great Firewall of China. That is, that China has erected a huge Internet firewall, again, censorship, uh, keeping out information, information about Christianity, information about democracy, democracy, information about freedom. And so this is a very repressive regime here they're hosting the Olympics. Well, we've been talking about politics today, and uh, what does all of this have to do with uh, the Christian worldview on government? Here it is. I'll lay it on you. The Bible says in Exodus 9-6, whoever sheds man's blood, 
by man his blood shall be shed. That is a scriptural undergirding the principle of the sanctity of human life, and the government has a responsibility to protect human life. The New Testament, you see over in Peter, we are told that the governing leaders and the authorities are sent by God for the punishment of evildoers. That's 1 Peter 2.14. It is the God-ordained role of government to protect innocent human life, to protect human life. Now, our founders knew this. You go back to the Declaration of Independence, and they say it's a self-evident truth that we are endowed by a Creator with inalienable rights. Among these, the right to life and liberty. So there's freedom, the right to life. And the Declaration goes on to say it is the role of government to secure these rights. Legitimate government secures the right to life and the right to liberty. And so when we talk about Iraq, when we talk about China, when we talk about the Republicans and the Democrats or the presidential election, it is very important that we understand the God-ordained role of government is to protect the right to life and to protect the right to liberty. And this is why, even though my friend uh, supports, uh, Carl Jeffers supports Hillary Clinton and uh, the liberal Democrats, uh, this is why I support a more conservative approach and conservative candidates, because I believe it's the fundamental job of government to protect the right to life. I just can't get beyond the fact that um, about a million unborn children a year are being killed. Government ought to protect that life. God-ordained government properly should protect the right to life and also the right to liberty. And so I'm for liberty, I'm for freedom, and I'm for life. And I'm for candidates that support life. Well, tomorrow, Irene Spencer. You don't want to miss this. Irene Spencer, former wife of polygamist with ties to Warren Jeff's FLDS group will give us her perspective on the issue down by San Angelo. We're going to find out more about what it's like to live in these polygamous communities. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Join me tomorrow. been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.